The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Lynn Vanderpott. Dr. Vanderpott holds a PhD in Divinity from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, and she currently works as a mental health counselor in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. She's the author of Psychiatric Medication and Spirituality, an Unforeseen Relationship. Her essay, Zoloft and the Sacred, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Vanderpott, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting 20 minutes. I I read your book, and it's fascinating, the, the connections that you're making and the work that's being done. When I think of uh, psychiatric medication when I first got the book before I actually started to read it and then read your, your essay, I thought we were talking about psychedelics and spirituality, but you're talking about you know, more, more prosaic drugs and spirituality. So uh, it, it's, people can resonate, I think, will relate to this more than uh, you know, my, my flashback to the 60s. <laughs> so let's just dive into this. You, you, you wisely open the book with the chapter called Understanding Spirituality, and you open it with an equally wise disclaimer. I'm just going to read this. Uh, You say, in healthcare, there is growing recognition of the inevitable folly of searching for a universal definition of a complex term like spirituality, close quote. Then you go on to say that we might be better served by exploring what spirituality does rather than what spirituality is. So, I'll follow your lead. What does spirituality do? Yeah. Um, well, when you start to delve into the research and an interdisciplinary um, project like mine, exploring medicine and spirit, exploring spirituality, I was coming across sources from so many different disciplines, from nursing to psychiatry to theology 
to counseling um, that it just was very clear early on that coming up with some kind of universal definition um, or a one-size-fits-all um, explanation of spirituality was um, was not going to was not going to materialize. Um, so when we think about spirituality, what it does rather than what it is, um, we can start to um, uh, touch down on something a little more meaningful. Um, and what spirituality does is a very unique thing um, for the individual. Um, for some people, it provides a, um, a framework in which to sort of process the life in which they live. Um, for some people, it relates to community and belonging and a very specific, you know, set of beliefs and and ideas related to a religion um a lot of people associate spirituality with the sacred so what it does is provide um a a bridge or a um tool in which to access deeper realms um so it does a lot it depends on who we're talking to yeah so let me pick up on the very last thing you said that it provides a Oh, I don't know. I can't exactly quote you, but the, the deeper realms notion that it provides us with access to deeper realms. Mo most of the terms uh, that you that you use in explaining what spirituality does would then have to be explained. I mean, the sacred and religion, but that will get us nowhere very quickly. So, so let's not do that. But I think this notion of deeper realms speaks both to spirituality. And in a sense, I and mean, if I'm wrong, you know, let me know. But in a sense, it, it also speaks to this notion of psychiatric medication. Is that true, you think? Is that, is it, do, do both of these things reveal deeper realms? Um, well, I think that suffering and emotional pain and trauma and loss and conflict and some of the very real things we have to deal with as human beings, um, I think there's a connection there. Um, getting us to the deeper realms. Um, yes. So let's be clear with the audience then about what you mean by uh, psychiatric medication. And it's not LSD, which is what I thought. So <clears throat> what, what are the drugs we're talking about? Yeah, there is a lot of um, writing and activity around psychedelic drugs right now. I think that um, Michael Pollan just you know published a book that's... Right. Uh, become very popular. But no, I'm talking about um, prescription medications that are um, have psyche, um, um, psychoactive properties, so antidepressants, anti-anxiety, anti-psychotic. Um, those are the kinds of psychiatric medications that, that I um, my book refers to. So some people would say that, you know, if I just have spirituality and Maybe they mean, you might say, if I just meditate, you know, in some system or another, I really don't need those kinds of psychiatric medications. But you're not saying that. What's the, what's the pushback against people who think they could, who really need the medication, who are convinced from, in one way or another, that they don't need it, they should, they should just meditate? Um. You mean people who think that other people should just meditate? No, no. People who really are in need of medication are, are avoiding taking the medication and thinking they can just 
they can just own their way to 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 mental health. Uh huh. Um, well, I that's a very you know idiosyncratic and and highly individual decision, um, and I steer, stand clear of trying to decide for anybody um, what's best for them. Um, I think there are some people who feel troubled by the fact that in spite of their spiritual um, life, they aren't able to manage some of their mental health issues and that taking medication is a very um, conflictive act for some people. Whereas for others, um, they're in such um, serious, you know, mental health issues can be life-threatening. You know, depression is a, is a life-threatening condition sometimes. So it's, you know, it the idea that it, you know, it isn't that uh, they're not, you know, using their spirituality becomes less important in those sort of life-threatening situations. Yeah, I, I think you know, in the Jewish frame uh, of understanding spirituality, there's a sense that that we sh- we don't we don't want to conflate one's emotional life with one's spiritual life, and that you can be a deep meditator and still have major psychiatric problems or psychological problems. You know, in, in that really are not addressed by spiritual practices, but really call for medication. It's like if someone's a meditator and they break an arm, they don't go, well, I'm going to meditate my arm back to wholeness. They go and they have no problem getting their arm, their broken arm set. So the same thing I would think is true or ought to be true uh, with mental um, break. That seems like a a really responsible and um, ethical way to go for people. Um, What you're describing as the Jewish tradition or the Jewish um, perspective on that. And I think that's really valid. Okay, well, we'll just put put one up on the board for Judaism. Um, (laughs) You have this interesting phrase in the book where you identify spirituality as a non-pharmacological factor in the use of psychiatric medication. So, <clears throat> and, and in the context of doing this, you, you have this, you coin a term, I think you're coining it, uh, called spiritual side effects of, medi- of medi- uh, medication. I keep saying meditation, but spiritual side effects of medication. So can you tell us more about these spiritual side effects of, of medication? Well, I have to say that there's only one letter difference between meditation and medication. So I often, um, in, in the typing of the book, of the manuscript, um, found that to be a, a regular typo. Um, spiritual side effects. I mean, the thing is, is that all medications have side effects. Um, side effects are basically any effect from a drug that wasn't the intended Um, outcome of the drug. So some are um, welcome, some are unwelcome. They generally come in categories such as physical side effects, gaining weight, um, or nausea, or sexual dysfunction. Um, There are cognitive and affective side effects, um, ones that sometimes cause irritation or low mood. Um, But what people were describing to me in the interviews um, did not fit into those um, categories. So it seemed um, important to really 
you know, call it what they were calling it, which was a spiritual side effect. Um, so they spiritual side effects, they can be um, welcome or unwelcome. They can um, people generally they fell into two different categories. Some people felt that their spirituality was enhanced and helped um, by medication and others felt the, that it was harmed and hindered by the medication. Let, let's talk about that for a second. Do you have a copy of the book right with you? Yeah. So I'd like you to just read something for us. Uh, it's on page 129. This is about um, a woman from the UK named Michelle. And I should let, I should let uh, our listeners know that the book is really, it's all about these people that you've, you've talked with and gotten their insights. So I don't know if you remember her, that you can give us some of her background, but she wrote to you uh, this amazing letter that you have, or part of it, on page 130 about her experience. And if you remember, can you give us a little background and then read some of what she wrote or, or tell us about it? I didn't get to know Michelle very well because she came to my project after I had completed it. So I was no longer interviewing people for the study. Um, but she, I, I encouraged her to share her experiences with me. Um, and she was very, very troubled and had what I would call the most extreme um, spiritual side effects. Um, in the unhelpful hindering category. Here's what she said. She, she really talked about the destructive impact that medication had on her spirituality. She said, I was on various neuroleptics from about 1995 to 2010. They included Paxil, fluoxetine, olanzapine, quetiapine, diazepam, and opiates throughout, which I still have to get off of. I believe that these drugs have seriously damaged my capacity for spirituality and higher brain function. I used to be very creative and felt to be quite a spiritual person, but now I feel a deadness and a blankness, like something precious and sacred has been violated and assaulted, like my spirit has been arrested. These drugs are Nazi antichrist, chemical concentration camps for the human spirit, which they arrest whilst making you feel so high you don't notice your personality being bleached out of existence. Truly antichrist as they stop the patient from being able to experience love and a host of other higher brain functions. If God is love and Christ is the exact representation of God and love is processed via the frontal lobes and these drugs arrest all this, then they are truly antichrist drugs. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I read it and it blew me away. And then listening to you read it, I get the same reaction. What, what's your take on her experience? Well, I, I think it's valid. Um, I think she's got a lot to be in pain over um, based on her experience. This is not a generalized experience that everyone who takes medication has, but looks like she was on them for about 15 years. And she goes on to describe how she had, um, she suspected that um, it was really impacting the biology of her neurology. So she insisted on getting, you know, MRIs and stuff. And at first they tried to, um, you know, say that nothing was wrong. But when she looked at the scan, at the scans, she, she really did have some atrophy in the frontal lobes. And this is documented. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's well-documented, um, research into, to some of it. And for some people, they're willing to pay the price, um, because it helps them. But for someone like Michelle, um, she felt the price was too high. Um, so, yeah, she's on a long road to recovery. Yeah, I mean, her, I mean, I read this and like I said, I had this, this visceral reaction. But then when I thought about it some more, I thought, well, maybe this is part of her problem. You know, I can't diagnose her. I don't know her. But this, this, because it's so extreme, these drugs are Nazi, Antichrist, chemical concentration camps. And if, if, if someone's listening who is dealing with similar kinds of things or knows someone who's dealing with similar kinds of things, and their experience with the medication is unhelpful in, in this way, it sort of deadens them. Is there something you could recommend? I mean, is it just trying a different medication or different dosage? Or is there something directly f that you can borrow from the spiritual toolbox, you know, meditation or whatever, that might, f you know, just using Michelle's language, that might free her from this chemical concentration camp? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I have hope that people's connections to the transcendent can help them through anything. Um, that doesn't mean that she doesn't need serious medical advice and serious medical guidance um, in healing um, some of what has, some of the damage that has taken place. Um, I'm not a prescriber and I've actually never, ironically enough, I've never taken um, psychiatric medication, not by choice, just by chance. Um, I think I missed the boat when I was going through all my emotional um, turmoil as a teen. I don't think it was as prevalent as it is today. Um, so um, my hope is yes, but I can't speak from experience. I do, I do know that a lot of people who have been able to successfully withdraw and discontinue their, um, uh, their, medications, they have found an increase 
in spiritual um, feelings and accessibility and gifts. Um, what about the reverse? So I, I also have no experience with these medications and, and I don't do counseling or anything like that. So, so I'm clearly a blank slate here, but I work with a lot of people who are serious to one degree or another. They consider themselves serious meditators or practicer, pra practitioners of one spiritual uh, modality or another. And sometimes their meditation or, or what they're calling spirituality is, oh, I, I guess like a hyper, almost, and this is a little maybe harsh, but sort of a hyper narcissism that it's, it's about, I feel great and I'm this and I'm that and I'm wonderful, and I'm joyous and I'm happy. And suffering has been, now, I don't believe you can remove suffering from your life, so I'm going to say suffering has been completely suppressed. Problems have been sur suppressed. They're not really living fully. They're taking refuge in a faux, what I would call a faux spirituality. And I wonder if in, in all the, with all the people you did interview, did you run across people who, who were high on spirituality but really out of touch with their lives and that the, the medication could open up avenues that they were ignoring? I did not. I did not run into that kind of lived experience because even the people who, um, you know, felt that medication enhanced um, their spirituality and that it, um, that it helped them um, connect at those, those deeper levels and, and live a more spiritual life. They, they never, suffering was still, was still part of their, their narrative. It was, yeah, it was, it was never the case of how, how you're describing it. Yeah. I mean, suffering ought to be, I mean, I, this maybe is an odd way to say it, but suffering ought to be part of everybody's narrative. I mean, it's just part of life. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm very partial to the Taoist phrase, um, the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows of everyday living. And spirituality doesn't, as, as I understand it anyway, spirituality doesn't allow you to avoid the 10,000 joy, you know, or sorrows. You get it all. It just allows you to embrace them without clinging to them. And I think, and, I, and I'm, this is a question, even though I'm, I'm suggesting it as a statement, I, I have a sense that <clears throat> if you're on psychiatric medication and it's the right dosage, it's the right drug, it's under the right conditions with somebody who knows what they're doing, that you can actually, the drugs themselves will help you deal more effectively with both, and maybe this is a bit ironic, but with both the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys, it just makes you more open to reality as reality actually is. Fair? I think so. I mean, especially in a way that you weren't able to get to without the intervention, without the, the medicine. Um, I don't think anybody seeks out a prescription um, because they're doing really well um, and because they can, they can, you know, um, manage and cope um, really well. I think it's, you know, they're, they're hoping that it will help them, um, you know, find that balance between the two. So in the very short time we have left, let's just talk about stigma. Okay. So I was talking to uh, just several clergy people that I know, and this conversation came up because I knew I was going to be talking to you. And I asked if there was a stigma, 
in their religious tradition against taking, against going for psychiatric help or against uh, taking this kind of psychiatric medication. Do you run into people who, who are, I don't know, they, they just feel guilty about having to do it? Um, I would say yes. I would say, you know, that's a question that people wrestle with. Um, you know, that's why taking medication is a, is a complex act. Um, it, it comes with a fair amount of conflict for, for a lot of people. And the idea being, if I was a more spiritual person, would I not need the medication? Right. You know what I mean, if I, you know, if I was only, and I, 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 I don't know that it's a very useful question uh, at the end of the day. Um, wisdom is what works, you know, and if it's working. Um, but I, I see people wrestle with that. Yes. So as a way of just closing out the conversation, is there some advice that you could give? I know that's not your job, but is, given all the research that you've done and all the information and wisdom you've gleaned from it, uh, is there something you can leave the listener with that, you know, if you need help, this is how you can, you know, seek it? Um. Yeah, I think that, like I said, I think wisdom is what works and any port in a storm, depending on what um, what you're facing. I think the problem with medications is that when they don't work, um, doctors tend to prescribe another one or another one or another one or two of them or three of them. Um, so if it's not the modality for you, um, then the good news is, is there are alternatives. Um, you know, there's plenty of research that suggests, you know, you know, anything from mindfulness and stress reduction and exercise and, um, you know, all kinds of things that don't involve, um, um, you know, drug interventions that can help. But if it can help, you know, I'm, I'm, I support that. So, but it's a very individual decision. Yeah, serious one for people to make, obviously. And we're going to, I mean, I have a million more questions, but I think we're going to have to leave it at that. So our guest today was Dr. Lynn Vanderpott. She's the author of Psychiatric Medication and Spirituality, an Unforeseen Relationship. Her essay, Zoloft and the Sacred, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Lynn Vanderpott, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.